welcome to episode 20 of The Reset Show. Really excited to be talking about building top performing teams today. We've got not one, but two guests today. So welcome to Lucy and Paul, who I'll introduce properly in just a moment. Super interested in this subject. Um, one of the things that I do in my world is team coaching. Um, so really, really interested to hear from Lucy and Paul on the world of team coaching and how that can really help drive um, performance. So Lucy is um, an accredited coach and, and um, also director of performance at Edge Partners. Paul, meanwhile, also an executive and team coach, having spent 20 years as a senior leader in Kerry Group PLC. So lots to explore about that, I'm sure. Paul is also a writer and speaker with strong interests in, in conflict resolution, human needs, and also, again, team coaching. Lucy and Paul are co-authors of a very recently published book, Building Top Performing Teams, which is published by Kogan Page. And if you are on our mailing list in support of this show, we'll obviously send you all the details so be able to grab yourself a copy of that. So before um, I jump into the conversation with Paul and Lucy, just wanted to remind anybody who is new to The Reset Show what it's all about. So The Reset Show is something that we launched a year ago um, when we were mid-lockdown, mid the first lockdown, I think. And there was a pause. It felt like there was a pause, not for everybody. Obviously, a lot of people's lives got very, very busy and we weren't all lucky and privileged enough to be working at home in our home offices. But we did feel that some there was a break, something, something was different and there felt like there was an opportunity to revisit this whole world of work, this whole world of people and culture and this thing that takes up hours and hours of our days and weeks and weeks of our yeah, so that's why we introduced the research show. We wanted to bring on some interesting people to explore, discuss new ideas about this world of work and what we could potentially do differently to make it a little bit interesting for everybody, a little bit better for everybody. So that's the research show. I've already introduced Paul and Lucy um, in a very um, brief way, but there is so much more to explore from both of them. So um, Lucy, I'll kick off with you. What haven't I said about you? And I don't be modest. What haven't I said about you that you'd really like to share? Um, probably a bit about me as a person. So I live in Horsham. I've got three kids. Um, they're well, pretty much grown up now, but um, you know, a couple are away at uni and then one doing A level. So um, yeah, very much we work as a team as well <laughs> within the family. So uh, yeah, just a bit more about me. Um, I've, I'll pass to Paul. Fantastic. Yeah. Cool. yeah, I'm from Northern Ireland, about 20 miles south of Belfast. If I speak too fast, just sort of like do a hand signal to say, slow down. <laughs> and um, I, I have three daughters, three teenage daughters, who are 18, 16 and 13, I think. I keep on forgetting. And um, yeah, so they're, I always say they're my best teachers. So I just, just love them the bits. And they're sort of like, they're my reason for doing everything I do is to try and make a bit of a difference for them, whatever way that works out. So. That's me. Fantastic. You bet if anybody else is watching on YouTube, not listening on the podcast, I have to say, neither of you look like you've got teenage, let alone grown-up children. So I'm, I'm very impressed. There must be something in the water where you both are. So um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to that for the thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm gonna say a huge thank you for that. <laughs> so. And Paul, I also have to, I often pause and stop myself and go, right. I talk really quickly. Please, somebody throw something, even if it's something virtual, and I can slow down. So I am in the fast talking brigade as well. So, um, Lucy, I want to know what motivated you to write the book. But why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about the book? How do, how do you sum up the the book to people who aren't in the know? 
Yeah. Um, well, I think that probably those those two questions sort of are interlinked, really, actually. So um, the book came came about the book's about team coaching. It's about how do you um, build top performing teams? And it's about seven sort of key characteristics that we found from experience and research were really key in um, building top performing teams. And it, it came about and the sort of motivation came about because you know, I'd, I'd been working and leading teams for a long time, about 25 years or so. And then back in 2015, um, I, you know, decided with partners at the time to sort of want to bring all that together, really, to develop a framework and a model to use when you're working with teams. And um, that's how the sort of the creating the team edge model came up. And then um, and then that sort of leads into a bit of the, the motivation, really, which was then. Paul and I were both on a master's at Henley uh, on coaching and um, we were having a, a bit of a discussion around, you know, where we were going to publish our dissertations, if we were going to publish them. And I'd been thinking about writing a book for some time. And obviously, Paul must have picked up a bit of hesitation around that because the rest of the group was saying, come on, Lucy, you're going to write a book. And, um, and then Paul pops in and says, well, if you, you know, if you decide you want to write a book, I would write one with you. So I'll pass to Paul. He can uh, finish finish that story piece. <laughs> yeah, so ironically, out of 35, 36 people on our master's programme, Lucy and I didn't actually know each other that well at that, that point. We just hadn't got to spend much time with each other. It's just the way it happens sometimes. So I don't know what inspired me to say that in that moment, but there was just something in my gut that said, you know, that that came out, and it was one of the best things that I ever said. And what happened then, Lucy reached out um, soon after that comment, a few months after that, and said, remember that comment you made over coffee one day? Um, would you like to explore that further? And I said, yeah, why not? Let's, let's do that. And we spent a number of weeks contracting. We started off in, I think, Perry Manger and Baker Street in London. And we basically spent a number of weeks contracting as to what would be our joint purpose, writing a book. You know, what, what would this be about? I had been doing um, research in conflict resolution. I thought the first thing I'd write would be about that in the context of Northern Ireland. Mm. And, and, um, but this came along. I thought, you know what? And our, our purpose was, to, we, we agreed, was to help teams within and across organizations collaborate better to create lasting change. Mm. And for me, that can have a societal type impact as well in terms of politics and the wider things. So that's for me where I, I came into it and said, you know, that this, this could be really, really important and something that I can put my life and soul into, which, which we, we did for 18 months, two years. So. I love it. That's such a fantastic story. Um, thank you for sharing it. And I love how you are so inclined to actually finish each other's sentences. <laughs> Just amazing. The book, obviously, it, it's, it came out a couple of months ago. So, so this year, so mid-pandemic, mid this era when a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us are working in a really distributed or, or virtual way. Um, and I know that the book really caters for that. I mean, it's got a phenomenal amount in the book about sort of virtual tools or methods, if that's the right language, um, about how you can support teams working virtually. So was that part of your thinking when you set off or is that something that you built in along the way? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, to some extent, yes, we did. Um, and some of them we had been using virtually, 
But actually, obviously, we were then faced with, you know, a completely different uh, lens, I think, with obviously COVID and all of our work then went virtually. So actually, um, we had a bit of a delay with the publishing because of COVID. And so actually, that gave us a great opportunity to say, let's just go back and really think about, you know, um, bringing in some of the experience we'd had around using some of these tools last year when we hadn't perhaps used them you know virtually before so um it stretched and challenged us really and we wanted to make sure then that all of the tools you could use either you know in person or a hybrid setting or virtually so so it was a great opportunity actually mm. brilliant now this is a sort of slightly out there question for you probably should put this bit back in at the beginning but um, as you know, Emma, who, who's um, another co-host on the show, who's actually on, on leave this week, but Emma and I co-wrote a book during the pandemic. Um, and um, I, like to I know that if, if I hadn't have had that sort of slow up in work, then actually cranking through this book would have been a really, really hard thing to do. So I'm wondering if you hadn't written the book, what would you have done with your time? Would that have been all about sourdough and gardening or something entirely different? <laughs> Well, I, I still managed to fit in learning how to bake soda bread. So you want the recipe, it's quite, it's absolutely amazing. Not, not that ours is the best. But, but um, yeah, for, for me, I, I had been doing on this journey about conflict resolution. So at the same time as writing the book, um, I was doing a peer-reviewed article on um, my, my research where I interviewed politicians from four of the main parties in Northern Ireland using a family therapy model and got them to pretend what would it be like in the future if you actually loved each other and liked each other? What sort of words would you say to each other? And that was, it was just a life-changing experience for me. So for me, I probably would have, I might have went and done more stuff in that area, but um, I don't, I have no regrets about not going that route. Um, I got the academic article published last year, around this last August it was, and I don't know where to go with that, that part because I don't, I don't want to get involved in politics, but I do want to contribute to a more peaceful society. And so at the moment, the academic article has been published, it's out there and mm -hmm. I kind of don't know what to do with it. So it was actually ideal that this came along because I don't know what, I don't know what have I done? You know, because I do believe I've got that time to sort of rest as well by not traveling as much. And, um, and that's going to be interesting in the next few months as the uh, clients are already saying, can you, can you come in person? I'm going, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm yeah. saying yes, by the way, but yeah, I'm sort of like inside I'm saying, I don't know. I'm going like, do I really want to leave my office? You know, so that's a, yeah. So for me, conflict resolution, probably that's the area that is in my mind constantly thinking, how can I contribute more to this in the world? I don't know the answer to that yet. And I'm just going to sit back and relax and see what comes. Yes. <laughs> Katie just put a note in the chat to say, obviously we'll share a link to that article in, in the show notes and, and, and everything. So people can access no that and follow up with maybe some more ideas about how you can take that further forward. So really exciting. So Lucy, what, what were you a sourdough maker? What would you have done? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, not I not making bread probably, but um, but yes, Paul's very much into his uh, his bread. <laughs> uh, I think so for for me probably. Um, I mean, you know, Belinda, you know, it does take a tremendous amount of time to write a book. So you know, probably the impact was. Um, it, probably not doing as much business so not doing as much team coaching mm -hmm. um and 
you know, one of the things I do love to do is I, I love the thinking. And that's one of the things I absolutely loved about writing the book is, you know, Paul and I would spend, you know, time together and just be absolutely sparking off each other in terms of ideas. So that piece was still there. And so I probably would have been doing that thinking somewhere else. Um, but, you know, it was great to be doing it on something that I was so passionate about. And also it was great to take the time out and think and reflect and you know keep challenging each other so one of the things we talk about a lot in the book is you know having open and honest conversations and Paul and I we definitely have those don't we <laughs> he's laughing we very definitely do you know so that it was the opportunity I think to apply some of the principles to us as well yes I love that and that idea of that time to think and I know it's a cliche that you know I think that the rate of meetings has gone up in, in COVID, the stats suggest that, you know, the meeting um, culture has actually got worse, not better, since we a lot of us have been working from home. And that squeezes out that time to think. And also that time to think that that some people use that time to think on the commute or so on. But, you know, when there's no time to think in the working day, it does make you wonder how those ideas that will actually be quite transformational can come along. So, um, yeah, that time to think has been an absolute blessing, hasn't it? Mm. So, Obviously, the book is about creating high-performing teams um, and teams. Oh, let's talk about the importance of teams. I think you, in, in I think it was one of the um, one of the people who quoted in the forward to the book. They said that teams matter more than ever as a way to solve the world's problems, and maybe this sort of touches into this whole area of conflict resolution as well. But I'd love to know a little bit more about why that is the case. Why do teams? matter more than ever and it's so easy I think to just use the word team and it's almost like um just a step in a sentence to something else but actually pausing and thinking about that word team I found that quite exciting I don't think I'd ever really done it so tell me a little bit about why you think teams are so important and why they're more important than ever so I, I don't know who wants to answer that first I'll, I'll start now I guess when you think of it you go to school and you're marked on individual results you know then you mm -hmm. go for an interview for a job and you're, you're, you're marked as an individual. And, um, and then you get into work and you're just put together with other people in a, in a team and it's expected all to work together. And there's so much stuff comes up from, you know, from family dynamics when you're young that comes into the, the workplace as you, when you're an adult. A lot of this stuff, if it's not dealt with or not talked about, just creates just lots of dysfunction and lots of things get in the way of, of performance. So the modern organization is built around teams effectively. But there's not much time spent really actually working on that. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we make these teams? And it's not just the individual team. And research backs it up too. And um, there's different bits of research which we're, we're happy to share in, in the show notes that I think one of them, um, Price and Toy, talk about they looked at 3,000 teams. Only 13% said could be considered as what they call accelerating and top performing. There's other bits of research point to about 20% of teams that are, are top performing. And they're talking about individual teams. And then you got the whole thing of team, team of teams. This idea of teams, networks of teams across organizations. And quite often we hear people talk about the silos, you know, the silos between teams. So it's not just about the teams, the team itself. It's about how teams, I have one example of a piece of work that I've done, with, which was between a retailer and a drinks um, company. And they said they made more progress in a number of hours than they'd made in three, three years. So that's the stuff, you know, gets in my mind, what, what's getting in the way of us doing great work? both individually as teams and also between the teams. And that's where the real gold dust is. So yeah, it's massive. It's, and it's getting, it's going to get more and more important. It's going to get more and more important because we cannot solve the problems. And the, the research around collective intelligence shows us that by working together, we can do more. Mm 
So, you know, we cannot solve today as the problems we have in the world right now, sitting thinking by ourselves, as, as nice as that is to do. Yeah, absolutely. Lucy, did you want to build on that at all? Yeah, I think... Um... So actually, we, we heard a, another example, actually, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, a summit we were speaking on, and they were talking about where um, you know, one of the supermarkets has been trying to source a product that was more sustainable, but it, it, the cost was too high. And actually, the supermarkets all collaborated and came together to say, well, actually, if we, if we came together as, as one, would we be able to um, you know, shift and have a lower price? And, and so actually that was just one lovely example of you know, that collaboration across organizations working. Uh, so we were like, wow, that, that sounds fantastic. And that's, that's ultimately what we would love to be seeing happening more. Um, and then I think the other thing that's in, important to teams is that you know, in our research, we identified these seven characteristics of sort of top performing teams um, and not just the team itself, but, a you know, team of teams as well, teams working together. Um, and just briefly to explain those, because that would probably give a bit of help of the context of the book. But those those are around purpose, you know, why the team exists, um, identity. So how does the team want to be known? How do they want to be described? Uh, values and beliefs. What, what's important to the team? What do they need to believe in and value to in, in order to achieve that purpose? And then awareness really pulls in this, this whole idea we've just been talking about. So awareness is at three levels. It's at the, um, first of all, the systemic level of, you know, how the team is um, interfacing within the organisation or externally as well. Then how is the team working with other stakeholders? And then within the team itself, you know, how's the team leveraging their strengths and how are they working on the areas that, uh, of challenge? And then relatedness is all about, you know, building psychological safety, um, you know, cre creating connection and trust within the team and that whole open and honest conversation piece we mentioned earlier. And then ways of working is then about the processes and rhythm of the team. So, you know, their meeting structure, their decision making. Uh, and last, but, but definitely not least, is transformation. And that's all about how does the team continue to innovate and to grow and not to become complacent? Um, and, you know, and where does the team get their energy from? And the, in making sure that the team are learning from each other as well. So those sort of were the, the key characteristics that are not just important for teams on their own, but teams working with the other teams as well. Just, just, just a thought there, sorry, if anybody's unsure about the importance of teams, technically a team is two or more people, technically. So a marriage, a partnership, a relationship, yeah. you know, if you've got a joint purpose and joint accountability towards something, you could be a team. Uh, and Lucy and I have very much a team of two with all these other stakeholders in terms of writing the book. So it's just that I, sometimes we think of teams and we're thinking of the six or seven or the five or eight people, but it's just another way to think of it. And everything we've written about and thought about and, and um, it can be applicable right down to like a partnership of two people, right up to, you know, larger teams. I think that's great. I mean, one of the things that we always do on the show is we kind of ask, we try to look at the topic under discussion through two lenses, which is how do I apply this in my work? And if I have, if there's no capacity to apply this in my work, how can I apply this in my life or both? Um, so what I'm hearing there, I mean, I, it's a very different unless you're a, an 
<laughs> an individual worker working on your own all the time. It's very difficult to imagine that you couldn't apply some of this in your work, but you can definitely see that how you can apply some of this thinking to your to your life as well. So I love that. And so interesting that, you know, way down your list of, of seven characteristics of a high performing team is this, this ways of working piece. And actually, for me, what I see is when I'm working with a new team or when a new team is, is established, that's where all the energy goes, which is how should we work together? How often should we meet? You know, how should we share minutes? Um, what platforms do we use? And actually, these other six barely if ever get a look in. What, why do you agree? Or why why is that? That seems to be the pattern that I see. Do you see that in the teams that you work with? And if so, why? I think, yeah, maybe we see that initially present itself. So when you're contracting with the, you know, the team leader or the stakeholders or the team itself, they they may focus on those sort of areas about, oh, I'm, I'm eating effectiveness, et cetera. But I think once they start the team coaching journey and often we'll use a diagnostic with them and we'll do one to one interviews. And then actually, when you start to ask them questions around, you know, um, what's the level of trust like within the team or, um, you know, how how effective are your open and honest conversations? And often, many times they're not even having open and honest conversations. You know, there's stuff sitting there that they're just not raising. Um, And so actually, when you start to pull that out and then play that back to the team, then I think they then start to say, well, actually, those are the things we really need to work on mm-hmm. first. And then often ways of working comes as part of it. But often I think psychological safety and um, purpose and developing those relationships seems to be key. Yeah. And is that the role of a coach? And I know that um, when I did my um, team coaching training, people couldn't really get their head around what it even is um how do you how do you describe it or what how do you describe the role as a team coach and, and is it that's is it is that where it sits sort of surfacing what's there but not necessarily visible to everybody or is it somebody is it something else yeah, we, we put a lot of effort into in the defining what is team coaching so <laughs> i put it on where i find it here and we, we basically talked about team coaching and helping teams work together was the first part of it Mm. with others and within the wider, their wider environments, that systemic part. We talked about creating lasting change, okay? So it's not about the way one-to-one coaching, you don't do like one coach, one session, you do a number of interventions over time. And we talked about developing um, safe and trusting relationships, that's core to it. So, you know, this idea of the, the team coach holds a space, mm. holds a space and, and, and to create better ways of working, new thinking, and this whole thing about maximizing collective potential, purpose, and performance goals. So, Lucy and I spent oh, days and days working on our definition of what is team coaching. And that came from a, a talk we're doing one day. And somebody put their hand up and said, I'm an HR partner. And I'm confused as to what this is, what this is. And then that said, well, how do we do a definition that is in, you know, everyday language? And Lucy, what do you call it? You have a name for it, the carry test? Yeah, so um, um, Paul's youngest daughter, he'll tell you, is, is Carrie. So we said, well, actually, would this pass the Carrie test? So would Carrie be able to understand what this meant? Uh, and so for us, that was that was really important, wasn't it, Paul? Yeah. And it's, it's, so this thing about creating the safe space for the team to do their own work, you know, the team take ownership of the journey. It's not the coach. It's not whereas we look at facilitation very much whereby, you know, you're, you're sort of managing the dialogue. Whereas in team coaching, you're letting the team do the work. You're creating the safe space for that magic to happen. And it's mm-hmm. really, really hard work as well. Really hard work. But I love, very, very I, love, 
Thank you. I, I think that's really helpful. I like the book. There are so many useful definitions and, and, and explanations in there. And I really love the carry test. I haven't heard it from a few for a few years, but it's not that long ago since I last heard that, you know, if I could explain it to my mum. And that just is deeply offensive on so many levels. Um, but actually explaining it to a child is a, is a, is a, is a great starting point. Yeah. Um, so is coaching a person or a role? So what, what, how, how, does, how does team coaching show up? Lisa, do you want to go that route? I don't mind. Yeah, so say a bit more, Belinda. Well, I suppose... We hear a lot about managers needing to be coaches more than, than ever before. Okay. Um, so that obviously leads us into this idea that actually it's not just coaches that can coach. I don't need to show up in a team as a team coach to, to have a coaching role. So is it just coaches and then managers or can anybody be a, a coach? How, how does it show up in teams? Yeah, I, get, I guess from a technical point of view and based on research we've looked at is that to be a team coach, you should be a coach first of all. Mm. Yeah. Now that does not mean that an HR, a leader cannot benefit from team coaching principles. So we've had lots of feedback in the book from people who are leaders going, thank you so much for that. I'm going to use this with my team and use elements. So we're not saying you can't do that. And I think the more, the more people, the more leaders we can get to actually embrace and learn about coaching skills and to bring that into their work, you know, with other individuals and with their teams, the better it's going to be. So it's trying to not get too academic about it. So on one end, we're saying to be a qualified team coach, you should be a coach, credit coach, then you learn about team coaching uh, and because it, it builds that way. But everybody can benefit from um, learning the principle. And I guess, I guess it's the principles of like, you know, deeper listening and better better questions and less judgment and giving autonomy to people. Like who, who, who couldn't that benefit? Yeah. You know, it, 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 no, there's nobody that couldn't benefit from that. And um, ultimately trying to unlock, unlock potential within within teams. So yeah, it's it's both both are true, but without getting too academic, you know, we do think there's a need for team coaches to be trained, to be qualified, to to, to learn about it um, properly, um, mm. because it's 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 really delicate work and it's really really hard when you go deeper with a team. It's 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 hard. It's a hard space to hold, mm. and it's something you shouldn't rush into lightly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Pirko, Perko, sorry, do um, feel free to switch your mic on if you've got a question or add your question. I can see you've got a comment. You're saying that you're really interested in this topic about, about a team leader as a team coach, opportunities and limitations. Hi, you just did your come. I'm so sorry. No, I'm Hello. not pronouncing your name correctly. Yeah, 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 no, it was right. I just was wondering because when I was working in HR, it, it's already 10 years ago because I have had my own coaching business now, but we then uh, had an, made a team coaching skills training to our managers. And now when I work as a team coach, I have uh, lately, especially I have been thinking about, about this, that what kind of team coaching skills to really to... Uh, teach to those managers because there are limitations also uh, to what extent they can coach their own teams but I think it would be maybe beneficial to think that part of team coaching skills are very valuable for example awareness and that kind of things. Absolutely. 
definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Agreed, agreed. I totally, totally agree. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think a lot of the skills can apply, you know, when you're leading or managing your own teams. I, I think the, the thing to think about is, is that shift of ownership. So, and, and that's, so if you're a team coach coming in, then, you know, your role is to help the team take ownership as you would do in, to- in coaching for, you know, the journey and where they're going. And, I, and, and so that's, that's a tricky role to then play if you're the, the leader or the manager of that team. And so, you know, I think it's about being really clear and contracting around it. I completely agree with you. I think, you know, a lot of the skills are really, really useful for managers or leaders to apply. And actually, we've had loads of um, leaders, managers contact us actually since they've read the book and said, oh, I, you know, I've been finding this really useful. I've used this exercise with my team or with other teams. So, you know, I think um, from that point of view, yeah, you can definitely apply some of the principles. Mm. Thanks yeah. for the question. Thank you. Uh, great question. And if anybody else would like to ask a question in the chat or jump on, um, then please do so. So I have got another question for you, which is, we've talked about what and why team coaching. Is there a when question? So I'm really interested. I was talking to um, a company that was talking to lots of venues recently. And as a lot of organizations get rid of their offices, um, there is an increasing demand for meeting space, event space, workshop space, whatever it is. But it's not just about the coming together. It's the, that, the, the value. Suddenly, the, you know, if you're only together for short spaces of time, the, the value of that time becomes higher almost. And it, less can be left to chance. So this is kind of what sits behind this question is, is there a when to when is team coaching for you know is it about when we're apart or do we need team coaching to help us make more of the moments when we're actually back together again yeah it's a great oh, great question Melinda thank you for that uh, I, I mean I think like coaching you know um great work around team coaching can happen you know before you start during sessions between sessions and and absolutely we'd want it to happen after as well that sustainability piece but I think you know the key questions are to ask before you even start uh are checking you know is the, is the composition of the team right first of all you know, have they got the right people in place um and you know is there a readiness as well for the coaching so you know have they um really engaged with it and you know committed to this this coaching journey and that you know there'll be yeah, but there'll be sessions, but actually the, the ownership is for them with it between sessions as well. So only only yesterday I was team coaching a senior exec team. And um, I think they had been thinking along the journey, you know, that the work happens in those sessions. And so obviously with them being, you know, shifting that ownership to them and, and saying, okay, so what what difference have you seen? What's been happening? What's the impact? You know, how's this the work been embedded? And I think yesterday was the light bulb for this team. They were starting to really think, yeah, we, we, we get this now. Actually, if we're going to embed this work and sustain it and actually get the return investment we want, we absolutely need to be thinking about what we're doing in between. Mm. you know and continuing that great work as well really you know so they've been working on you know open honest conversations building that connection they've changed their whole meeting structure and decision making and so they're saying well actually yes we we should be using these uh you know tools practices 
behaviors um, and certainly applying the, the you know, our values in our day-to-day work. Mm. So through the whole lot, I would say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that. It's, um, it's a pattern that's repeated across lots of different, I don't want to use the intervention word interventions, but I can't think of a better one, which is the idea is that happens when the person that you're paying to help you is in the room, even if that's a virtual room. And then you go yeah. back to it's, it's like that training thing, isn't it? It's just like, oh, I go and t- train and then I go back and do whatever I did before. It's like no, the, the work happens outside of the room, um, yeah. which is so important. Let's talk about the four C's. You talk about the four C's in the book of connection, confidence, courage and continuing. Tell me a little bit about, about that and how they show up and how they're useful. What, 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 where this comes from is this idea that we, basically tools and techniques, the model, the framework approaches are all really important. But as a team coach, how you hold a space with, with other human beings, mm-hmm. how you create that space whereby people feel safe to be what they can be together, that's the, bit, that's the magical part you're trying to get to. And Carl Rogers talks about way of being. 1980 wrote a book actually called A Way of Being. So basically, a lot of people don't define a way of being because how do you define something that you can't put into words nearly? It's mm. so difficult. So we come up with these four C's to try and talk about this way of being required for a team coach to really, really, to really work on. So I'll mention the first couple and then I'll at least mention the last couple. So take connection, first of all. Um, the connection piece is basically... Um, I mentioned Carl Rogers, he talks about um, empathy, which I listened to that podcast, uh, the David Hammond one, brilliant. And the whole idea of empathy, and he talks about the, the importance of empathy. Um, openness, he talks about self-disclosure, conquerance, this idea of being yourself, being yourself in a, in, a, in a relationship. So, And the other one is unconditional acceptance or unconditional positive regard. And there's a great story, um, I can't remember the guy's name, it was a Paddy Tiernan, I got the wrong name totally. He's an Irish comedian, okay? And he was talking about unconditional positive regard on a chat show. And he's trying to explain this idea of not judging another human being who's in front of you. And, and the comedian said, that sounds like love. And the psychologist is going, well, like, it's not love, but it sounds like love. So this idea of not judging the person in front of you is just one of the most powerful concepts ever. So this idea of connection is all about this idea of how, how do you really deeply connect so deeply with people at a level they probably haven't experienced before or possibly haven't experienced before. And that, that's, that's an important part of way of being. And we can keep working on that, you know, how well we listen, how well we, we don't judge, how well we, you know, we're at ease with ourselves. The second C, so another the other thing Lucy and I talk about is connection before the work. So we just believe, even on our calls, like we had a call this morning, we spent, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes out of two hours catching up as to what's happening in our lives. And that idea of being, you know, really connected with each other, with the people you're working with, is really, really important. The second C is confidence. And we talk about confidence if you're, as a team coach, this idea of um, a self-ease with yourself. So like sort of being at ease with your own story. And our, um, Alison Hardingham was a professor at Henley and she talked about falling back in love with yourself again. Okay, hmm. I love that term, or, or coming home to yourself. And for me, for an example, what that would be, would be um, coming from Northern Ireland. I used to be, you know, a lot of shame coming from what we'd done to each other in this part of the world hmm. over 30 years of conflict. And... Um, when I went to Henley, done the master's, I actually realized this is part of my story. You know, I feel so strongly about how humans collaborate because of how, I, you know, what I experienced growing up as a child. And that's this idea of having the confidence of coming home to your own story and owning that. And that becomes part of the work. So again, if you're going to go into a room and there's a CEO there, or there's so, and you know, you have to be in this place whereby you're, you're comfortable in your own skin. It doesn't mean you won't be anxious. It doesn't mean 
you know, you'll have moments of imposter syndrome. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. It just means that you've an inner inner depth of confidence in your own story and who you are and what you can contribute to the world. So those are the first two, how to deeply connect and how to have um, just be, you know, have confidence in terms of who you are and what you're about and what you can contribute. And that Lucy talk about the, the last two. <laughs> so the, the last two are um, courage and continuing. So courage is about, you know, that team coach being truly present for the team and having the courage to challenge and to stretch the team and, you know, hold the mirror up and then help the team to ha- hold their own mirror up. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, I think another thing around courage is that um, ability to, to sit in discomfort at times. So we all know, you know, if we're, if we're in coaching and in team coaching, you know, there will be times where you're bringing stuff to the surface or those elephants in the room and, you know, there, there may well be discomfort. And so it's, it's allowing that discomfort to surface really. Uh, and a, another piece I think is around, um, you know, maybe having a plan. So some, some team coaches are completely emergent. Um, and, and if you're not, if you've got a plan, then you've, you've got to have the courage to let it go, you know, and not, you know, not, not stick to that agenda. Um, and I was working with a team actually where, you know, we had a plan and we'd contracted and agreed that plan with the, the team, the team leader. And, and maybe we hadn't contracted as well as we could have done because I think there was an expectation where they were thinking, well, it's, it's 12 o'clock, so why aren't we at, at X, you know, at 12 o'clock? And, you know, and we were allowing things to be more emergent. And so actually after one of the sessions, we had, we had to have a whole new conversation with the, with the team leader and team to say, you know, needs to be space here to allow stuff to emerge and have some of those open and honest conversations. So I think it's the, the courage to, to have some of those difficult contracting conversations as well and to flex and adapt and, you know, depending on whatever is present. And then the fourth one is continuing. So that's around, you know, very much as a team coach, you know, using um, active reflection and using supervision. So we see it's so, so important to have supervision as a team coach because you're dealing with such complexity and I think remembering around that, that, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect team coach, like there's no such thing as a perfect coach. So we're always, always learning. And, you know, every time I have supervision and I know Paul does as well, you know, we're, we're always learning something more about ourselves um, from, from bringing our team coaching supervision. So, so those were the four C's. Brilliant. And obviously the four C's for being a, a, a great coach, but again, you know, these are, definitely things that we can all apply and 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 bring more of ourselves and a better contribution to to teams and and work so really really great stuff and I think that that sort of the conversation about the four C's really tees up neatly the next question I wanted to touch upon briefly with you is around inclusion and we have got um, a, a fabulous woman coming on in a few shows time to talk about how you facilitate for inclusion particularly how you facilitate virtually for inclusion and inclusion in all of its guises, you know, making sure that everybody, no matter who they are or what they're bringing, feels thoroughly included. I'm really imagining that team coaching can really help with inclusion, but I don't want to jump conclusions about where and how it helps. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how team coaching can help with inclusion. Yeah. 
Oh, oh, Belinda, I would, would, we would definitely agree with you. <laughs> so, definitely. Um, and we've been talking a lot actually about, you know, inclusion in the context of team coaching a lot recently at, at different uh, webinars that we've been running as well. So um, I, I think team coaching definitely does help, I think, to build inclusion on, on a number of reasons. I think, first of all, in terms of building that psychological safety, so, you know, creating this safe space where team members feel that they're, they're able to show their true selves without negative consequences. And I think that building that psychological safety through, you know, connecting before the work, as Paul's talked about, through sharing more about their self, true self, you know, being vulnerable, I think really, really helps to then, you know, create this feeling of psychological safety. And then People feel, you know, happier to speak up, you know, and to know that they're, they're not going to be um, negative repercussions. So I think psychological safety is really key. Um, another thing that, that you'll know Nancy Klein um, has talked about is you know, she talks about, you know, until you've spoken, you haven't arrived. So I think that's another thing in team coaching is, is sharing that, um, that approach, that ethos and making sure, you know, everyone's voices are heard. Mm. Mm. and and uh, so I think that's really key and you know Paul mentioned conversational turn-taking earlier I think you did Paul you mentioned collective intelligence um but again you know there's a real link there between um that feeling of inclusion and feeling like you know I I have got a, a chance to share my views and opinions and for those to be heard absolutely and, and other areas we talked about, I mean, there's loads we could talk about in terms of inclusion, but I think, um, you know, this whole idea of practicing those open and honest conversations as well. So in creating this muscle of open and honest conversations and, and every single organisation and team that we're working with at the moment is trying to build this muscle, mm. everyone, everyone. And I think in them developing that, then that enables them to have some of those open and honest conversations too around, you know, diversity and inclusion yeah yeah and Paul, paul's got some examples oh, of, yeah. of where he's been, been working with some teams definitely around this haven't you recently yeah i'm really passionate about this because if you look at the stats 80 percent of people on um who are autistic do not end up end up on, end up in not full-time employment longer term 80 percent that, that's criminal um mm. seven out of ten people with dyslexia do not tell their company so there's big things out there are going on that people are not feeling included. You know, mm-hmm. and they're leaving organizations. They're not even getting into organizations. That's the diversity part. But mm-hmm. then when they are in, they're not feeling included. So it's the thing where I'm working with teams. I, I, I talk about this and I'm, I share some of those stats and I ask, you know, how inclusive are we really being? And we have examples of, a, you know, somebody up to a flip chart one day in a team session. First time ever they've written the flip chart and they said, I, I've never done this before because I'm dyslexic and I don't. I struggled and it was just one of those moments in the whole team and ah oh, thank you for sharing that because the safety was created for that to happen an example yeah. um where somebody's job role changed because of autism and they made a, a role change in the team to suit to, to accommodate what they needed more yeah. and i'm recently doing work in a, an area of the whole area of deafness and that's just like you know that's that's just scary how, how people can feel that their, their needs are not being met mm. and um you know, and we've, we've people using sign language during the actual team sessions. We interpreters um, sign language, and it's just fascinating. So that, that area there, I do not think we're being as inclusive right now as we need to be. And I do think team coaching, number one, by talking about it, and number two, the safety team coaching creates 
you can have conversations that you don't even think are possible and people are dying to have these conversations we just need to create the right have the, have the courage to um and, and the skill to develop those safe spaces for these conversations to take place mm. I, I love it. And I, I love this idea, yeah, creating safety and psychological safety and the space for these conversations. And I love this idea of, you know, building a muscle of open and honest conversation. And I, it's so great to hear that, you know, this is where you're seeing the demand and this is what every organisation you're working with is, is looking for, this muscle to repeatedly and sustainably have these really open and honest conversations, which hopefully can be really transformational. So, um. One other point before I fire a last question at you. Um, you mentioned um, a podcast that we had earlier in the series. I think it's one of our first with David Hamilton and Jamel Zaki looking at empathy. So again, Katie, we'll, we'll put that into the show notes. So anybody who's interested in that podcast can have a, a listen. And I think um, safety and open and honest conversation and empathy are all really closely linked ideas or concepts or probably more than that they're sort of enablers of each other I guess so do do give that one a listen and Lucy when you were talking about the kind of the seven characteristics of a top performing team one of the things that you talked about was energy and I think you were talking about in in relation to relatedness I think that's where the energy piece came in um or transformation I beg your partners about this energy for transformation how do we learn and evolve where does the team get its energy from and how can we get more of it so my last question actually for both of you was on this topic of energy we've also done another podcast on energy with Perry Tim is talking about his book the energized workplace so again we'll share a link to that in the notes but my last question for <laughs> go Lucy and then I go Paul which what gives you energy so on a, on a work basis, well, actually not just work, ho home as well, but actually working in teams really does give me energy, um, you know, working with teams and working in teams. So Paul talked about, you know, we, we were a team of two and, you know, we managed to, you know, write the book while we were running businesses, you know, we had our family life and also some life events. So, you know, while we were writing the book, you know, my, my son was really seriously ill um and you know within a month my mum died you know and you know it was amazing to be working with Paul because you know he proactively without me even asking him just said I'm gonna I'm gonna take the reins and you know dealt with everything so you know that really gives me energy I think working you know working in the, in teams and I think also what gives me energy is in writing the book I think it was leaving a bit of a legacy you know, just to feel like you've, you, you probably would feel, I'm sure you would have felt this Belinda writing your own book, but you know, you feel like you're, you've left something, which I think <laughs> is a really positive thing, you know, and it's, it's been lovely, actually, my, my son, eldest son is um, looking to sort of explore in the whole world of HR and stuff. And so actually, and, and coaching, so he's, you know, he's got the book and is already saying, oh, mum, are there things in the book that I could use or in or like give me ideas for my dissertation? And, you know, so, you know, that's that's lovely to see. That gives me energy. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I can't see my kids picking up my book anytime soon, but, you know, never. <laughs> give it, give it, give it time. Give it time. Yeah. Paul, what gives you energy? Uh, probably for me, first thing is purposeful work. So like, I'm attracted to, as mentioned, about inclusion, things that really, really matter. Uh, the more you know something goes deeper and is actually making a difference to people's lives to organizations you know to society that's the stuff that makes gives me energy and, and the book piece about legacy we actually feel like we're doing something towards that 
you know, because we're getting feedback on that, and that's really cool. The other thing for me is connection, just connecting with people. And um, my, my favorite piece, and I'm not, not too sure if I read the favorite pieces, but my favorite piece of research I came across in the book was the link between the depth of social relationships, both at an individual level and at a peer, peer level, and mortality rates. I just love that. Like, and basically, when, when this research has been shown beyond any doubt, there's a link between how well we relate, how deep our relationships are, and how long we live. And so that, that stuff for me, just connecting gives me energy because I know in every part of my body and spirit that it's, it's absolutely key. And the research backs that up. Like, so that's what gives me energy, connecting with people from all walks of life and all parts of the world and everything. That's, that's the, the piece. Wow. Um, give me shivers. Um, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and yourselves as well. Um, and as I say, I really recommend the book and we will send a link to that in, in the show notes where everybody will be able to access this. Before I find, wrap us up, finally, I know Katie is just going to tee us up about what we've got next on the next show on June the 16th. Katie. Yeah. Thanks, Belinda. Huge thank you, Lucy, Paul. Brilliant show today. Really loved hearing all about that. So next show, which, like Belinda said, is going to be on the 16th of June, we're going to be joined by Dr. Nima Pasha. We're going to be talking about the future of work, but within that, we're going to be covering all sorts of things. She's a super clever, super interesting lady. We're going to be looking at automation, artificial intelligence. She's also done some great research on um, the differences between different generations within the workplace and much more. So it's definitely one not to be missed. Um, also, just a reminder to anyone that is listening in on the podcast, we'd really appreciate it. Cheeky little favour to ask if you can like it, rate it, leave a review. It just helps bring the show to other people who might be interested in the show. Similarly, if you're watching it on YouTube, give us a like. Every little helps. Um, that's it from me. I will pass you back to Belinda to close the show. Thank you, Katie. Paul, Lucy, it, it's just been lovely, lovely having you on. Thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time out of this really hot, sunny um, June day to join us. And yeah, can't wait to hear how um, what comes next for you guys. Thank, thank, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Goodbye to all our listeners. Bye.